0: Thank you for tuning in to the podcast of Western Heights Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. We exist to exalt Christ, equip the church, and engage the community. For more info, visit whbcwaco.org. Last Sunday, we looked at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, and we looked at those words under the heading, Who We Are in Christ. And the goal of, of that sermon, of that passage, Of Scripture is to to affirm in us the relationship we have in Christ, you know, who we are as children of God, who we are in our relationship with Christ, but also to expose us to our responsibility as followers of Jesus. Uh, That was the purpose. That was what Peter was trying to say, you know, and even though we are called to be Christians, even though we are children of God and there's many benefits in being a child of God... That doesn't mean that we're immune from troubles. It doesn't mean that, that we're going to get away from difficulties in life. We're not immune. matter of fact, Jesus said to his disciples, he goes, in this world you will have trouble. So we shouldn't be surprised when trouble comes. Jesus predicted it. He said it's going to happen. So because these early believers were going through some difficult times, before, because they were going through some troubling times, Peter writes them a letter and says, I want you to remain strong. I want you to remain strong in your your faith. Because he knew that in the face of troubling times, they might be tempted to stray or maybe not share the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, what kind of message would that be? Come to Jesus and be killed. Probably not going to see that on too many bumper stickers. Uh, It's not going to be a, a popular bestseller. You know, come to Jesus and be killed. So, uh, after all, they might be tempted to not share the message. So, 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 Peter knew that such a temptation might exist in the early church. So, he wanted them to know not only who they were in Christ, or who they are in Christ, but also what they have in Christ. Today, we this is part two of our series on 1 Peter, uh, as we look at it under the headings, Timeless Truths in troubling times. And today we look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. We'll look at these words this morning under the heading, what we have in Christ. Now you follow along in your copy of God's Word as I read these words from Peter. He writes in verse 3, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope ...through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead... ...and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade... ...kept in heaven for you. Who through faith are shielded by God's power... ...until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine, and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Even though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. As we examine this passage, I want to give you three spiritual realities we have because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. First, we see that we have a living hope. Look at verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope. When we become children of God, when we accept Jesus Christ by faith, He places us in the family of God. We become a child of God and we receive this wonderful privilege of being in the family of God. But notice what Peter says. He says, we receive this living hope, what? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So the source of our hope, the source of this living hope, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Listen, without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we do not have hope. The resurrection of Christ is what all of Christianity hinges on. If there was no resurrection, Jesus was a liar and He could not save you. But because of what He did upon the cross that delivers you from your sins, the resurrection validates, proves that He indeed is the Son of God. Therefore, He has the power to save you from your sins. The resurrection is pivotal. And Peter says, we receive this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. But then he goes on and he adds to it. He said, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, verse 4, and into an inheritance. Now, we know what an inheritance is. An inheritance is something that that you receive because you're a part of the family. My family will not receive anything because I'm going to spend every blasted dime. They won't get anything. Maybe get some some debt. Maybe I'll leave them some debt just to remind them I'm still around, you know. Uh, but you know what an inheritance is. An inheritance is something you receive because you're in a family. That's what Peter is telling us in this passage. Because we are in the family of God, we receive an inheritance. We receive blessings for, because we're in the family of God. And when he talks about this inheritance, Peter is talking about everything God has promised us in the future. So what's he promised us? Well, one thing he's promised us in this inheritance is that when we die, we will not stay dead. When we die, there is this thing that's called the resurrection, where we'll be resurrected from the dead. What else does he promise us? He's also promised that when we die, we're not going to live here, we're going to live in heaven. There's something waiting for us. There's a there's place called heaven where we go to live. And if we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we're not going to stay dead, and we're going to live in heaven. He's also promised us that uh, when we uh, when we die, that we're going our lives, our our body is going to be changed. We're going to get a brand new body. And let me tell you about this new body. Uh, There'll be no heartaches. There'll be no pain. There'll be no disease. There'll be no death. And we get all of this, this no death, we get heaven, this new body, we get all of this because we know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of our life. This is what we have in him. Notice how he describes this inheritance in verse 4. Enter an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. He says, first, it'll never perish. Then he says, it'll never spoil. When you see that word spoil, he's saying, it will be—it will never be stained by sin. And then he says, it will also never fade. So Peter is saying that our there, there inheritance in the future, it's deathless, it's sinless, and it's fadeless. It's eternal. It's going to last forever, for eternity. Then look at verse 4. He goes on, he says, Perish, spoil, or fade kept in heaven for you. That word kept means it's it's reserved and it remains up there. It is secure as as if you had it right now at this very moment. There's something waiting for you. It's in heaven under lock and key. It's preserved. It's protected and it's personalized just for you. It's kept in heaven for you, now, I know what you say. Okay, preacher. I can buy into that. I understand that my inheritance is kept safe, and I know that it's waiting for me. I know that. But I live here. I live in the world. I live where it's hard. I live where there's temptations. I live where there's trouble. I live where there's trials. I live where there's, where there's difficulties. I live in the midst of problems, in the midst of the heartaches. What about me? Am I safe? Am I protected? Peter answers that in verse 5. Look at what he says in verse 5. He said, Kept in heaven for you who, through faith, are shielded by God's power. By faith we are shielded by God's power. That's our eternal security system. Uh, probably some of you have a security system in your home. Uh, you know, that you go to bed at night, you punch in a code, and you can, you can rest assured at night that if somebody's a break in, alarm's gonna go off, or if a fire happens, the alarm's gonna go off. Somebody's gonna be there real quick and, 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 and put the fire out or rescue you from harm. Maybe you have a, a security system in your car. That, you know, if you lock your car and somebody bumps it, it'll beep, 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 it'll beep. And that gives you a certain amount of security that you're safe and your possessions are safe. Listen, as a child of God, you have a security system. Notice what he says. Who through faith are shielded by God's power. You're shielded by God. It's a military term. In classical Greek, it's used of, of a sentry posted at a door, at a gate, for a 24-hour watch. Listen, you are shielded by God's power 24-7, 365 days a year. And this word shield, think about that. In the ancient times, you know, the, the soldiers would fight with a shield. And they, they would have that shield and that shield would protect... I'm not talking about the little round shield. I'm talking about the big shield that they go into battle. It would protect them from, from spears and from arrows and, and from anything that was come their way. And think about it this way. There you are standing, and the shield that protects you is God's power. God's power shields you from the things that are happening in the world. God is our 24-hour security system, and it is the power of God. Paul talks about it this way in 2 Timothy chapter 1 Verse 12, he says, I'm not ashamed because of this, because I, because I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. Here's how it works. You entrust something to God, and guess what? He guards it. You entrust something to Jesus, and he protects it. He guards it. This is what Peter is trying to bring out to the people. I think of the Old Testament saints. Saints. I think of Noah. Noah went through the flood, but guess what? He was protected by the power of God. I think of Daniel who went through the lion's den, in the middle of the lion's den, but God closed the mouth of the lions. He was protected by the power of God I think of Shadrach Meshach and Abednego I think Of them they went into the fiery furnace But they were protected from the flames From the power of God And listen my friends the same power That protected Noah The same power that protected Daniel The same power that protected Shadrach Meshach and Abednego is the same power That protects you and I Why because God is the same today Yesterday and forevermore He does not change his power does not change we have that same power. We are just as secured. So he's saying we have this living hope. We have a guaranteed our inheritance and it's, it's reserved for us. It's waiting for us in heaven. And he's keeping us down here so that one day we are going to get our inheritance in heaven. That's a living hope that we have in this world in which we live. And we have that because of Christ. Second truth in this passage. We have an enduring faith. Look at verse 6. In this, you greatly rejoice. What's the this? Everything we just talked about. He said, in this, man, you are, you are pumped. In this, you, are, you re- rejoice in this. But he goes on. In this, you greatly rejoice. Though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. What Peter does, he drops down from heaven, inheritance, living hope that we have. And he comes down to earth. He says, okay, now let me talk to you down here. Let me talk to to you down here where you're living amongst the people. Remember who Peter's writing to. Peter's writing to a group of believers that are experiencing persecution. They're not being made fun of. They're not being laughed at. They're not being criticized. They are being put to death. They are being persecuted for their faith. This is who he's writing to. In this place. And Peter comes to them with pen in hand. He goes, I know you're suffering. I know you're going through some hard times. I know you're going through some difficulties. I I know you're suffering from grief. uh, From the heartaches that are coming into your life. Notice what Peter says. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while. You may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Notice he calls them all kinds of trials. He doesn't tell us what they are. We can glean what they are, but he doesn't really tell us what they're doing. You know why I think he does that? Because there's nothing new under the sun. We think because we live in the 21st century that we have much more trials and difficulties than they did back then. No, we don't. No, we don't. It's the same trials that we experience It may be different, but it's the same. It may look different, but it's the same. You know, trials come in in so many different ways. They come in so many different forms. They could be financial difficulties, financial trials. They could be marital trials or relationship trials. You know, they could be family trials. They could be health. Uh, They could be any number of things. It could be trials because of grief that you're experiencing In your life. How do you deal with them? How do you deal with the troubles that come in your life? Peter tells us. The first thing you do is you rejoice. (laughs) That's what he says. He said this, in this you greatly rejoice. Even though you might be going through all kinds of trials. We rejoice in what we have. You see, there's three situations in life. And I look around this room, and every one of you is in one of three situations. You're either in trouble, or you just, you just came out of trouble, you're in trouble, or you're going to go into trouble <laughs> somewhere. Trouble is going to come. You either just came out of it, you're in it, or you're just about to go into it. This is the, the nature of life. But here's what I want you to see what Peter says. It's only for a short time. It's not going to last forever. It's just a very short time. You are, listen my friend, you are going to come out of your trial eventually. There is an end. Matter of fact, if you stop and think about it, in the span of eternity, your trial is just a blip. You are going to come out of it. So because you know you're going to come out of it, because you know what you have in Christ, you rejoice Because you recognize these trials are probably not going to kill you. They're not going to change who you are and what you have in Christ. So the first thing you do is you rejoice. Second thing you do, recognize that it has a purpose. (laughs) You probably don't want to hear that. But the trials and the difficulties you go through, they have a purpose in your life. Look at verse 7. These, what's the these? The trials. These trials, these difficulties you go into, they have come so that your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though we find by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Two main purposes of the trials in your life to purge your faith and to purify your faith. You never really know. How genuine faith is until your faith is put to the test. If you never have to go through a difficulty, if you never have to go through a trial, you never really know how strong your faith in Christ is. The trial of your faith is designed to remove the impurities. Peter even gives us an illustration. He talks about gold. He talks about about gold and and all that stuff. He says that our faith is is better than, than gold. Gold perishes, and gold is is an imperfect mineral. Uh, it, it's it's priceless. It's 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 a treasure, and it's it's it, we probably all like to have a little gold uh, if we could. But gold, but when they mine the gold, it's imperfect. So what do they do? They take the gold and they put it in a fire, and they heat the fire up. And the hotter the fire gets, it burns off the impurities. And then the goldsmith scrapes the impurities off the top so he can have pure gold. And he keeps doing that and keeps putting it through the fire to burn off the impurities. That's exactly what God is doing to you when you go through a trial, when you go through a difficult situation. God is burning off the impurities of your faith. He's purging away those things that hinder you from having a genuine, a real faith in Jesus Christ. Your faith is being refined. He's burning off those bad elements, and he's purging you from the impurities. It's to to not only is it to to purge your faith, but it's also to purify your faith. He wants to make sure it's genuine and not fake. He wants to make sure it's real. Peter says that our faith is greater than gold. Again, look at verse 7. He says, may be proved genuine. Look at that last part and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now, we like to think of that phrase, oh, when Jesus comes in all of his glory, our faith will be genuine. That's not what he's talking about here. Remember the context. He's talking about difficulties. He's talking about trials. He's talking about problems you're going through. He's talking about something different here. What's his, his, you know, he said, I want to make sure your faith is genuine. I want to make sure your faith is real. So how does, how does God know that our faith is genuine? Well, once again, we use the analogy of the goldsmith. Again, a goldsmith, he puts it in there to burn away the impurities, but he can't make the flame too hot because then it destroys the gold. So he, he mines the fire, and he, he fans it to keep it so much. But he manages it. If it gets too hot, it destroys it. If it's not hot enough, it doesn't burn away the impurities. So you ask the question, how does a goldsmith know when the gold is genuine? When he sees his reflection in the gold, then he knows it's genuine. Here's what God is doing for you. He puts you through the fire to burn off the impurities, but he only puts you through so much. And when he knows that your faith is genuine is when he sees the image of himself in you. When he sees the image of Christ in you is when he knows that your faith is genuine. Listen, my friends, that's what God is doing to you today. Through the difficulties and trials you're going through, he's wanting to see the image of his son. He's wanting you more and more to look like Jesus. That's what he's wanting from you. In this situation. He wants you to be in the image of His Son. We become stronger because we recognize that God is shaping us. So we go through the trials. We recognize what God is doing in our lives. So we have a living hope. We have an enduring faith. Finally, we have a captivating love. Look at verse 8. Though you have not seen Him, the Him is Jesus. Though you have not seen Jesus, you love Jesus. And even though you do not see Jesus now, you believe in Jesus and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Remember, he's talking to these first century believers, second generation Christians, but he's also talking to us. He's talking about us. You see, Peter saw Jesus in the flesh. These people did not see Jesus in the flesh, and neither have we seen Jesus in the flesh. Well, here's what's happening. Peter knows Jesus. He saw Jesus. He experienced Jesus. He got to eat with Him. He got to fellowship with Him. He got to hear His teachings firsthand. He got to see His miracles firsthand. Uh, He got to touch Jesus. He got to hear Jesus. He got to experience the power of Jesus' forgiveness In his own words. He knew more about Jesus. Than these first century believers did. Because he had experienced him personally. But yet Peter says. Even though you didn't get the benefits that I did. You still love Jesus. How did that happen? Because they'd heard about him. They heard the stories about Jesus. They heard about his teaching. They heard about his healing. They heard about his sinless life. They heard about Calvary and they heard about his crucifixion and they heard about his resurrection. And they heard that someday he's coming again and he's going to take back with him all those who believe in him. They learned that, that he first loved them and so because of that they know they can love others. This is what Peter is saying, that even though you, you don't know him like I know him, you still love him. And they would never stop loving him no matter what they were experiencing in their lives. No matter what they were going through, they would not stop loving Jesus. Many of you know what this is like. Well, maybe not many of you in this room. Some of us in this room know it's a lot because we're married or we've been married. Marriage is one of those things that uh, you get into and we made a vow when you get married. In sickness and in health. In riches, in poverty, in good times and bad times, and there's been some bad times. Now there hasn't been any bad times for me because I'm married to my wife, but she's had some bad times because she's married to me. All right, she makes marriage easy. All right, but I know every oh, yeah, she knows exactly what I'm talking about. But you see, we you make a commitment, to love. And even though you go through difficult times, even though you go through hard times, the thing that gets you through it is love. It's love. This is what Peter is saying to these believers. It's the same way. You go through difficult times, you go through troubling times, but your love for Jesus is what gets you through it. Your love for Him is what it's all about. And even though we do not see Jesus, we love Him. This love we have for Jesus leads us to trust Him. We see that in verse 8. Even though you've not seen Him, you love Him. Even though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him. What's He saying? We love Him and we believe that what He says is true. We believe that He has our best interest in mind. It's what He's saying. Again, we take Him in His Word. We believe what He says. We trust Him. And why? Because of that, it leads us to rejoice. Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and what? Are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. He says this joy that we have because we trust Jesus is is a joy that can't even be explained. It's it's that kind of, of joy and it's so hard to describe how this love of Jesus impacts your life. It's inexpressible. You can't explain it. It defies our ability to communicate it's, it's kind of like, let's see if I can get this right. It's kind of like trying to describe a sunset to a blind person. It's kind of like trying to explain a beautiful piece of music to a deaf person. Until they've experienced it, they don't really understand it. This is what Paul is saying we have love and this trust we have in Jesus leads to inexpressible and glorious joy. If we love him, we'll trust him. If we trust him, we rejoice. Then we can receive from him all that we need to turn troubling times into triumphant times. Look at verse 9. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. When you're going through troubling times and you become triumphant in those times, you get to experience today a little bit of the future glory you're going to have. You see, it's it's not enough that we long for heaven during troubling times. Anybody can do that. Say, man, I... uh, I can't wait till I get to heaven. don't have to worry about this. See, anybody can do that. But Peter wanted his readers to exercise love, faith, and rejoicing so they might experience some of the glory of heaven in the midst of troubling times. In the midst of troubling times, you walk with calmness. You walk with assurance. You walk with hope that your God has not abandoned you and his love is still manifest in your presence. And that gives you hope. It gives you joy. It gives you faith. You go on. You and I are in the category of those who have not seen Jesus yet. Now, well, I'm just wondering, if you you think you've seen Jesus, we've got counseling we'll do here at the church, okay? Maybe you have, but I, you know, I would dare say that we have not seen him, okay? Uh, You know, we're in the category. We see, as we study the Bible, as we get into God's Word, and we study the Gospels, we study all the Bible, but specifically the Gospels. As we study it, what happens is the Holy Spirit paints a picture on the canvas of our hearts of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we see Him in all His glory, in all His splendor. And with the eyes of faith, we love Him because He reveals Himself to us that's what the Christian life's all about it's about loving Jesus it's about loving Him more and more every day it's about loving Him that's the key to it all Jesus wants us to love Him I sometimes wonder if we love Him the way we should I sometimes wonder if we love him in return because his love is eternal. Our love is temporal. As long as he's doing good for us, we love him. I'm reminded of a story I heard several years ago. A little girl had a bunch of baby dolls. And she was sitting in the middle of her baby dolls. She had all of her little dollies around her. And she was just crying and crying and crying in the middle of her dolls. And her mama came up and said, Honey, what's wrong? What's wrong? What song? She goes, Mama, I just love them and love them and love them and they don't love me back. I wonder if sometimes Jesus is up in heaven and God comes to him and says, What's wrong, son? He says, I love them and I love them and I love them. And they don't love me back. Have you told Jesus you love him lately? I mean, really. Have you really told him that you love him lately? I know what some of you are saying. I'm a man. That's not manly. Let me tell you something the manliest thing you can do is love Jesus. And get this. You ready? And lead your family to love Jesus. That's the manliest thing you could ever do. My dad is 88 years old. Still with me, still knows who we are. I recognize my dad's not gonna live a lot longer. You know, my dad didn't teach me how to hunt. <laughs> Didn't teach me how to fish. Didn't teach me how to play golf. You know what he taught me? taught me how to love Jesus. Hunting, golfing, fishing. Ain't gonna get you to heaven, only Jesus. So I think that my dad taught me to love Jesus. I'm not against hunting, I'm not against fishing, I'm not against golfing. I just want you to love Jesus first. Love him first. When was the last time you told him that you love him? When was the last time you got alone with your Bible? And having read about his wonderful love for you and all he has done for you, said from the depths of your heart, Lord Jesus, I love you. For some of you, what you need to do today is tell Jesus you love him. You don't understand what I'm talking about because you've never experienced the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And what you need to do today is you need to come to this front, you need to take me by the hand and say, Pastor Bruce, I want you to know that I don't know what it's like to love Jesus. I don't know what it's like to have somebody love me the way that you've talked about that today. But I want to know. And what you need to do, you need to confess your sins and say, Lord, I have missed the mark of your plans for my life. I've tried to live a life, and Lord, I can't please you. There's nothing I can do. I'm a sinner. All my righteous deeds are like filthy rags in your eyes. And God, I recognize that I cannot have a relationship with you because my sin overwhelms me. But I recognize that Jesus Christ paid the price for my sins that he died on a cross and paid the price for my sins so that I will not have to pay the price for my sins. And today I want to receive Jesus as Savior, Jesus Christ as my Savior and my Lord, and I want to commit my life to him. And you need to ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins and come be Lord of your life. Some of you need to do that. I know to say, saying, the Pastor, I've been in church all my life. I don't care. Church doesn't save you. Church has no power over your life whatsoever. It's only the transforming grace of God that can change you. Church is just a bunch of, bunch of things we do because we're in a relationship with God. But if you're not, listen, if you're not in a relationship with God, you might be physically in the church building, but you're not in the church. Because only those who are saved are placed in the church. His church. So for some of you today, you say, I need to accept Jesus Christ and Lord and Savior life. And then let me get right down to where we live. Because I know almost everybody in this room, you have got to get serious about your love. You've got to get serious about your faith in Jesus Christ. Because if, if you have genuine, real faith in Jesus Christ, you're going to make it through the storms. And you're not going to throw in the towel. Because you're going to walk by faith and not by sight. And you say, you've got to get in on the game, if I could use that metaphor. Life is not a game, but you know what I'm talking about. You've got to get in on what God has got planned. For others of you, you know that if you're going to be all that you can be in Christ, you've got to be in a church. You've got to be in a church that preaches the Word and teaches the Word. And as I told the students at Baylor, we try to live by it, but we don't always get it right. I said, but we're trying I said, so, so if, if, you, if you're like that, then you might find a perfect home here at us because we're just a bunch of fellow believers trying, struggling through this thing we call life and we try to do it together. And maybe you need a church home. In a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. Josh and the team are going to come and lead us. I know I went on a little longer, but it's just so much good stuff in here and I just don't know how to reduce it. But maybe God has touched your heart. Would you stand with me as I lead us in time of prayer? Marcy's going to come up and stand with me just to kind of facilitate people if you want to come up and talk you want to pray get some counsel we'll be here for you however God is leading Father God we come before you your presence Father thank you for this day thank you for this opportunity you've given to us speak to our hearts this morning you've given us opportunities to worship you've given us opportunities to pray you've given us opportunities Father to give our gifts now Father we pray that you would speak to our hearts midst of this moment challenge us convict us comfort us move us forward we give you this time to touch lives for us in Jesus name we pray